Amen. All right. Well, guys, grab a Bible uh, one way or another. Be with us tonight in the book of Proverbs as we're going to be in chapter 28 as we continue our study there. If you want to use the Bible booklet, you guys know how this works. I think about just the continuation of this, that the booklet we printed out is simply the chapter of the Bible, giving you an opportunity to mark this up in any way that kind of works good for you. Uh, We'll use a pattern on the screen that we'll use kind of green for good and red for bad and circles for the main thing and and underlines for the the flow out, and that'll make sense as we kind of go through it. Uh, But again, however it would work, if you want to use this, you can. If you want to follow in a Bible, an electronic device, that would be great. One way or another, we long for you to be in the Word of God with us. If you're joining us online, we want to invite you there as well. Grab a Bible, join us in that. If you want the booklet so you could follow along and mark it up, you can actually get that as well. You can go to calvaryroswell.com, our website, go to the Messages tab, and then under tonight's message, you can just hit download uh, for the place that says notes, and that will give you the opportunity uh, to join us. Tonight, we are picking up where we left off last week. We're going to be in verse 13 uh, is is where it's going to start for us. So again, you can make your way there. And as you do so, let's go before God and ask that he would be just the God that opens up his word, that gives us understanding, that he would communicate to you and I those things that he has. And so I'm longing for that, recognizing need in that, just longing that you would ask him for that as well. So let's do that. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's good. Thank you that you tell us that your word is like a light unto our path. Lord, I I think about just the need of that. We come and just bring our lives before you and admit that we live in a world that is confused, dark so often, in so many spaces. Lord, to to be able to handle this well, we're going to need you. We need strength. We need you to guide our path. Lord, would you do so tonight by your word? Would you take the the truth that's there in front of us and would you do what you can do and you alone? Would you take it and magnify what you have for us? Would you meet us in a way that we hear from you so that your truth just touches and guides our lives? God, we look to you for that. Holy Spirit, asking you to be the one that would teach us tonight, showing us that which you have for us. God, asking you in a fresh way for that right now, give us understanding. We pray for that together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are a people who are desperately in need of mercy. Uh, People who desperately need to be found in a place where God is the one that would meet us in that and draw us to that. And God offers that to us, but its direction is clear. You might just have your Bibles open already there, there in verse 13. That's the issue that it brings before us right as we began. Simply tells it to us this way. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Says that whoever covers that, whoever, you know, does this place of of hiding and and, and covering those things, he says, that's not going to go well for you. You're not going to prosper in that. That is not a a way to do do that. Instead, if you would confess those, and if you would forsake them, this is then, then you will find mercy. 
Mercy is this incredible reality of, of not giving us what we deserve. In essence, that's its simplicity. That what we deserve, what is rightfully ours, that which would be just what we merit in our own place, God says, I could give you mercy, but he offers that to us in the right way. This has always been the, the great need. This has always been a part of humanity, but part of our brokenness seems to always have the propensity to hel- handle it wrong. He invites us away from it, being this place where we're not going to cover those. From the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, that was the first attempts. When Adam and Eve first kind of struggle with their sin, they, they seek to cover it, seek to, to, to both hide and hide from God. And God has to begin seeking them out and drawing them to a place of recognizing, you know, both their need and, and to come to Him. It was there in the garden. It's been that way all the way through history. It is that that meets you. And yet one of the key lessons we need to learn to do is not to handle it wrongly, not to cover that. I think about it, there's so many places where we could talk about this, but perhaps one of the greatest examples that some of you would already even be thinking through is, is King David, a man who's known after a man after God's own heart, one who walked with, knew God, you know, did so well, and then sinned so horribly. Talks about it there, if you know David's life, of, of his sin with Bathsheba and uh, Uriah, and, and just both the adultery that was found in that, the hard spaces that were found in that. But that which I want to draw your attention to is the Bible lets us know that when he sinned, he did the, what the beginning of verse 13 says. He covered it. He just pretended it didn't happen. He covered that up in, in a way that didn't deal with his sin, didn't work in that. In fact, if we hold the timeline well, it seems like it might have lasted for almost a year that David just, in that sense, dealt with his sin that way. He then turns back to God, but in that he writes a couple of incredible psalms. One of them is Psalm 32, where he simply looks back on that season and says it this way. It says, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through all my groaning all day long. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. It's descriptive. It's powerful, it's accurate. He says, when I didn't deal with my sin, when I kept silent, when I covered, he says, you know, it's as if my very just life just kind of began to just, my bones themselves felt like they were growing old. I just groaned all day long, my vitality, instead of, you know, just feeling, it's as if it just drained the life out of me. It it emptied me out in so many ways. Then he says in the next verse, he says, but then I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. It is such an incredible reality. David says, I, I, I came and I, and, I, and I confronted my sin. I confessed it to God, you know, and, and there in that moment, he totally deserved God's full-on wrath. And he says, but you forgave me. You met me in mercy. You did this incredible place. In fact, he begins this psalm by just saying, blessed is the ones whose, whose sins are forgiven, or oh, how happy, or oh, how joyful. He just lets us know that this is a good space to be in, that place where you find mercy, where, where sin is forgiven, because our God, that is what he can do. That is why he sent his son. Think about it. Many of you guys have been with us in 1 John, and so you know that verse in 1 John 1, 9, where it says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Again, one of the most powerful verses that speak about this one, one that's worthy of you memorizing and knowing, saying, okay, here's what we need. We need to confess him. We need to come before that. And in that, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He's, he does that to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what our God does. And one more time, that's what he does because of Christ. That's why Jesus died. It is his blood that washes away our sin. It's, it's all that flows into that, how incredible, how amazing that is, and yet how needed it is that we then become those who do this. Here's what I recognize. There's not anybody here in this room that this is something that you're not consistently needing to deal with, that we are a people who struggle with sin. We are a people who are constantly facing this, so we are always in need of mercy. And one of the great things is becoming one who's good at this, who's good at dealing with things quickly, who's good at, you know, finding that, that path to God very, very quickly, not hiding, not, not waiting a day, not waiting a week, not waiting two weeks, being in the space of like, okay, you know, as soon as it's there, I, I, I find myself making a beeline, you know, into dealing with this before God, not being one that covers it, but one who confesses and forsakes that confession. Let's just talk about that for a quick second. This isn't a study that we can go into depth on that, but what does that mean? I mean, what does it mean that God is asking you to confess your sins? Now, because of where we live and, and the culture we live in, for some of you, you know, maybe a Catholic background, you kind of picture this little booth that you go in there and you kind of knock and, you know, you have to say what you've done in your mind. You kind of see it that way. Others have, have just looked on this and say, okay, is, is confession can just, just admitting it? Is confession a place where you, you, know, you have to just say it out loud or speak that? And honestly, in so many ways, that so often rolls into that Catholic background and that understanding. That's not the picture that the Bible lays. There in 1 John that I just read, it's a great word. The, the word confess in the New Testament is homologeo, which has the simple idea of say the same thing, that you're going to come in and say the same thing. And so the idea is say the same thing as what? As God that you're going to come in and say, God, I, you're, you're right. Uh, I agree with you. Now, what makes this incredible is here in the Old Testament, when it uses this idea of confess, the word that's used for confession uh, really finds its root. The root part of the word is actually praise or thanksgiving. When it's translated into other spaces, it's there. It's a praise of, of coming before and saying, hey, God, you're right. It's a coming, coming before in worship and, and surrender that isn't a place of just you know, having to speak that. In fact, it's an interesting thing. Without spending more time on it, David's a great model of it. David sinned horribly. Uh, and if you want to go back and read that in, in, for, in 1 Samuel, you can. When he comes and confesses his sin, it doesn't mean that he went through and had to, you know, kind of, you know, cross off it, you know, you know, I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I did this, as if he had to speak, like, each and every detail that he'd ever done. I mean, if that's what confession was, then, then we're in trouble, uh, because that's a lot, and that's hard to even figure out, but that's not what David did. He just came and said, God, I sinned. I sinned. I sinned against you, and in that incredible space where he humbled himself before God, where he recognized that God was right and he was wrong, God says, I meet you in that. So confession is this place that's a beautiful place that it's not just admitting that you did wrong. 
It's coming before God and admitting He's right and you're wrong. It's coming in a place that is worshipful and surrender and, and, and recognizing your, your need in the midst of that. And God says, if you'll do that, if you'll confess it and turn away from it, you know, you can't confess it and be like, I'm going to confess it, but I'm going to keep doing it. That's not confession. But you can come and say, God, you're right. If you'll do that, he says, you'll find mercy. That is where God meets you. That's 1 John 1, 9. If you will confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. May that be something that you do well. May it be something that you grow in. The sad reality, again, is that for some of us, you don't. For some of you, it takes a day. I mean, for some reason, you punish yourself or some weird thing or do, like I sinned, I can't, I can't go to God right now. I've got to wait 24 hours or something. Or, or you wait a week. It's like, you know, I'm, I'll go on Sunday. And it's like, what in the world? I mean, go quickly. I mean, make it be where as soon as you're, you're just like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. God, I, you're right. Your ways are good and I have fallen. And then there's mercy. It ought to be something that is such a consistent and just you know, continual place in your life that you would look on this and you would be able to say, that's true. That's true. There's mercy. There's mercy. As soon as you come, as soon as you, you know, come and say, God, I, I just, I, you know, I've sinned. God, you're right. And, and just this, this place where he meets us in incredible mercy. May it be a place that you learn. May it be a place that you come to Wow. Well, hold that thought, turn the page over, because in some ways it really flows into the next verse as well. It says, happy is the man who is always reverent, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Happy is that man. And, you know, just this, this joy, there's joy in this person that would always be reverent, would always be in this place of acknowledging God and recognizing his goodness, which, if you're just tracking with me, I told you is actually a big part of confession, that, that part of this is saying, God, you're right, you're good, you're glorious. He says, when you're that way, when you're there, there's joy in that. There's joy in coming to that place. But if you're going to harden your heart and you're not going to acknowledge God and you're not going to come and, and recognize his glory, he says, that's going to go badly. You're going to fall into calamity. That's a path that brings destruction. That's a path that if you resist this, that, that both by God's discipline, but also the, 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 the pain and sorrow of sin, that's a path that's going to go badly for you. So he's inviting us again into a space that this is something we do, but I just like the way it says, happy is the man who is occasionally, every now and then, no, always, like that is, that is my, my, my go-to, that's what I want to, I want to always be in this space of, of trying to just, as quick as we can, just acknowledge and bring God into this, because that's a place that brings joy, which, again, I just tie it to the previous verse, because, again, that's what David said, David writes Psalm 32, if you want to go back and read it again later, he just begins it by saying, you know, blessed is the man, or oh, how happy is one translation of the word blessed, is the man whose sins are forgiven, just when you can find this, when you can come and say, God, I need this, I acknowledge this, there's joy in being there. But if you're going to be reverent, if you're going to acknowledge God, there's no other way. Because our God is a holy God. To come before him exposes our brokenness. And yet to come in and admit that is an incredible place of being able to find just joy. 
What an invitation to, to be able to tell you this evening that there's mercy that can be both just joyful and, and, and just faithful in the midst of this, but we need to be those who, unlike Adam and Eve, and unlike David and his folly, hide from God uh, when we're doing badly. May it be we, those that we get very well at, at coming very quickly uh, before him. All right. Well, leaving that, we change subjects a little bit there in verse 15. Like a roaring lion and a charging bear is a wicked ruler over poor people. This is one of those tragic things in a broken world. And he just pictures it. He says, you see a, a lion who's roaring, a bear who's charging. And, and there's something almost just looking at that, that that gazes at something that's almost an unstoppable, you know, just calamity in the making. Just watching this in many ways. He says, that's what it's like when a ruler, a wicked ruler, is over a people who, who are poor, who, who have no ability to resist that. And it's just a tragic thing. It's one of those places that in this statement of Proverbs, there's no you know, other thing than just to admit, that is true. That is true. To, to watch someone doing wickedly and being in power and just to walk the, watch almost the destruction that that can bring into the wake and just the destruction that it can bring into the midst of, of space. And it's a tragic thing in a broken world, but worth our at least just acknowledging it. Well, kind of connecting to it, in verse 16 it says it this way, a ruler who lacks understanding is a great oppressor, but he who hates covetousness will prolong his days. So we looked at a wicked ruler over a people that's just like this charging bear. And he says, you know, if you have this, if you have someone who is a ruler and he doesn't lack understanding, that's what it's like. It's like this oppressor, probably tying it into the previous, like this charging bear, this roaring lion to see, you know, just the the great damage that it's there. But in contrast, and the contrast is interesting, he who hates covetousness will, will prolong his days. So one of the interesting things to do in the book of Proverbs is to realize so often there is a contrast. Uh, it's either compliments or it's you know, saying the same thing or saying a, a different thing, but sometimes the way it says it is just worth just spending time on it, which we don't have a bunch of time to spend on it, but it's interesting to look at it. So on one hand, we're looking at one who has no understanding and therefore becomes an oppressor, becomes one who is probably like a charging bear, just one bringing destruction. The contrast, though, is one who hates covetousness. So probably, again, speaking about someone in power, someone who's, who's a ruler in many ways, he says that's going to bring a lengthening of days. That's going to bring, you know, something that, if that would be where you are. And so kind of the concept is, one of the things that makes the wicked ruler oppressive, one of the way that makes this wicked ruler who lacks understanding is because he's driven by covetousness because he's driven by wanting what he wants, uh, no matter what it costs any other people, wanting, uh, you know, from that. And so he invites us to see the destruction that's in that, but calls it away, us away from that. Without spending much more time on it, just again, absolutely true, but I wonder where it's you. I mean, some of you say, well, I'm not a ruler, you know, I'm not, you know, it's not, I'm not over a, a city or a nation, but to wherever there is a place that God gives us influence, uh, ever there's a place, whether that's you're a supervisor or a boss or even within the family, he says he invites us away from this, that we'd be that one that isn't, you know, driven by, hey, just what's in it for me? What do I get? Uh, what, 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 you know, is, you know what, it really doesn't matter what's right or wrong. I just want to know, hey, what's in it for me? Like, how, how do I get something out of this? That'll always go bad for you 
to become someone who isn't driven by that is what Proverbs invites us to see and to be moved away from that. All right. Flip the page, verse 17. Man burdened with bloodshed will flee into a pit. Let no one help him. So he looks at this and he says, okay, here's someone who is, you know, burdened with bloodshed. They've committed murder. They've, they've, they've murdered. They've, they've done just, you know, horrendous in that. He says because of that, it's going to drive them. It becomes that, that that sends them, you know, chasing towards a pit. And this proverb just says, hey, don't get in the way of that. Don't get in the way of that. A couple things just to think through on this. For starters, we probably ought to just pause and talk about murder itself understanding this, this is a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal scripturally. I mean, God lets us know from the very beginning in Genesis uh, when Cain murders Abel that he says, hey, you know, that when someone is murdered, that their blood cries out from the ground. There's, there's something huge about this. And there's something about this that God holds as, you know, just something that's punishment, that what he lays out within the, the Old Testament law and the structure for society is this place where, you know, someone who's done that, that there is a sense that they're, you know, not to get in the way of that. It's worth at least pausing. And again, I don't want to get, you know, into a huge, you know, place. If you want to talk about it later, you can ask me. But in one sense, it kind of calls us to even understand to have a right view of, like, capital punishment and, and the way that that would work, that that's, that there's a, you know, that there is that that makes it worthy in that. Jerry Bridges, uh, in his notes on this said, protest against all capital punishment is misnamed philanthropy. That shall a man pretend to be more merciful than God? Pity is misplaced here. He says, there's a sense of just looking and saying, you know, if, if we fall into this cultural place that almost downplays all sin and says, well, you know, you know, people, you know, it, it's not the way that God does it. Again, for any of you who have a, a good understanding of the Old Testament, it's an interesting thing, the way that God even laid out the land of Israel. Because of the great weight of murder, because of the great weight of that, they had, you know, cities of refuge put all over the land of Israel so that anybody who had committed murder could go there and find refuge as long as they weren't guilty of first-degree murder. You could stay there for second-degree murder, but first-degree had no, no, no place of refuge. And, and there's a sense for his people saying, hey, we don't, we, that's not what we, you know, you, you don't kind of stand against God's judgment. Again, so many of those choices are outside of us, but there is a place where God kind of invites us to say, hey, if I've fallen into the cultural adage that, you know, downplays all sin and, and, and doesn't see, you know, even the weight of capital punishment, I would put to you that there's an unbiblical kind of value system working into your heart and that God wouldn't even need to rescue that. Well, without spending more time on that, that might be something that some of you need to chew. There's still another picture here of, of almost just watching, not just murder, but almost this sense of bloodshed, almost this place of, of watching somebody who's dealing with guilt. And there is a place of just saying, hey, don't get in the way of that. In my mind, I'm just thinking of the parable of, of the prodigal son, of, of watching this young son who you know, takes the whole of his, uh, of his inheritance, wastes it, and then, you know, continues this downward spiral. And if you ever got to get a chance to just think that through, one of the interesting things is to think through the picture of the father who is going to forgive and, and going to rescue. But it's an interesting thing. 
He never gets in the way, kind of watching this downward descent until, you know, that prodigal son hits rock bottom, turns his way up, come, you know, comes to himself, comes back to his father. And there's this beautiful picture that as soon as the son begins that just return, uh, Jesus telling us a story, he says the father runs to meet him you know, runs to meet him, embraces him, welcomes him. The father, you know, the son is like, I don't even deserve this. You know, you should not be doing this, you know, and yet he gives mercy, which is kind of within our text, what we just have talked about. Incredible mercy and restoration. But it's an interesting thing that it wasn't until that moment of repentance. It really wasn't until he turned around. And sometimes, without spending more time on it, we have a propensity of maybe um, softening people's blows, softening, you know, not letting them kind of, you know, till they hit rock bottom. And I wonder how often we have prolonged, uh, you know, people's, uh, you know, just folly because we, we care. It's like, okay, but he says, hey, don't, don't help, don't, don't get in the midst of that. You know, as they're kind of running towards that pit, don't, don't hinder that because, you know, you're longing for people to come to that place where they're confession. I mean, obviously, if they're turning from sin, then that's an entirely different picture. As God forgives, we forgive. But in so many ways, an interesting thought. All right, well, more there. You can spend time on that more later. Go to the next one. Verse 18, whoever walks blamelessly will be saved, but he who is perverse in his ways will suddenly fall. Whoever walks blamelessly We've talked about this on even a previous Wednesday, so I don't want to spend a bunch of time on it, but I love the word blameless. I love the biblical context and place that it is. Understand what this does not say. It's not saying whoever walks perfectly as if that were possible. If he would say, okay, whoever does the right thing all the time, every day, we might look at that and think, that would be great, that's not me. Like, I'm done. Like, okay, if that's, you know, I have no hope in this, just leave me alone. But that's not what he says. He says blameless. And the picture of blamelessness in in the scripture isn't a picture of perfection. It's a picture of having your sin dealt with, much like we just talked about in verse 13. We've confessed it. We've dealt with it. We found mercy. I've used the illustration so many times, but you know, it's, it's the idea. It's not saying, hey, you've never had a parking ticket, but you've dealt with it. Like as soon as you became aware of it, yeah, you know, you, you, you got that taken care of. And so it's not calling us to perfection, but it's calling us to blamelessness. And the person who's blameless is that person who has understood the path to mercy, who, who has done, who, who's living their life that, you know, it's like, that's what I do. Like, you know, if I fall, I am quick to run to God and say, God, forgive me, get me back up. You know, like, let's, let's, I want to turn from my sin. I want to, I want to live my life in a way that is quick to repent, quick to return, quick to confess. That's a good picture of blamelessness. That's a good picture of what it is. And he says, if you'll do that, if you'll live that life, you'll be saved. Uh, there, there's rescue there. There is hope there. There is help there. In contrast, if you're perverse, if you're going to be that one that says, nope, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go my own way. I, I don't want to walk in those, those things. He says, that's going to go badly for you. You're going to fall. And it's going to be a sudden fall. It's going to be, you know, an end in the space that would be a horrible place to come. And just as it's, it's as if you could look at that and say, you know, that, that's the course that person's on. If they don't turn, they don't turn, that's what's going to happen. Again, the reality is for many of you, you know somebody there right now, you could think about it. It's like, I know somebody who's living a perverse lifestyle. They reject God, reject his ways. And it's as if you could look and say, there's a fall coming. There, there, there's destruction coming one way or another. And yet, how much we long uh, to be those that aren't on that path. 
how much we long to be those who are seeking to live a blameless life. That's possible. It's possible for you tonight to be blameless. It is possible for you tonight uh, to, to come and say, you know, maybe it wasn't. Maybe, maybe you, you did lose something today. Maybe there was something that you handled poorly today. And even now you hold that weight. It's possible to be blameless right now to come in and confess, God, you're right. God, I'm so sorry. God, you, I, I acknowledge you. Turn from my sin. And there's mercy and, and there's blamelessness in that space. Be there quickly. Be there just often. If you walk that way, there is salvation. There is help. And it's a good space to come. All right. Verse 19. He who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows frivolity will have poverty enough. It's one of the Proverbs that deals with uh, the sense of laziness that is often held out in the book of Proverbs. It says, if you're just faithful, like you will take care of what is yours. You'll till your land. There's enough. You'll have enough. I mean, it doesn't mean you're necessarily always be wealthy, but there'll be bread. There'll be enough to go there. There'll be that in the midst of it. But if you are living a frivolous lifestyle, just wasting your days and wasting your time, then you'll have poverty enough. Uh, you will have enough of that. And again, it's just an interesting proverb, but I, I just like the way it's worded. Uh, if you just make the contrast between plenty of bread and poverty enough. Plenty, you know, it's like you're going to have plenty of, of one or the other. It's like, well, you know, the one is found in being faithful and being the one that takes care of what's in front of us. All right, flip the page. Verse 20. A faithful man abounds with blessings, but he who hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Someone who's faithful, who's a person who's walking in integrity and seeking to do the right thing, says that, that, that's just, that abounds with blessings. It's a simple statement. It's one that's meant to mark our lives, and it's just simply true. Uh, it's not always true. We, we look in a broken world and say, hey, not everybody always gets that, but it's still nevertheless true that if you're faithful, if you're a person of integrity, if you're a person that does what you say you're going to do and, 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 and keeps it, it's an amazing thing how often that's abounding with blessings. That's true uh, in society. That's true in workplaces. It's true in families. It's, it's one of those things that God has worked into the fabric that is true. If you just be faithful, and that's so often the call in our lives. But in contrast, the one who hastens to be rich says that's not going to go unpunished. Again, just an interesting contrast. So faithfulness is contrasted with covetousness. Faithfulness, this place of just, hey, I want to do the right thing, I'm going to be the right person, is contrasted with this person who is more concerned about, you know, getting ahead or riches and, and that becoming uh, that which is a driving factor, and it will so often be undoing. Uh, again, it was that way for a ruler a few Proverbs before this. It's true in lives as well. Just calling us to be a people that that's not how we're supposed to be driven by. You know, that in so many ways, our lives are meant to be by being faithful. May God make it so. Okay, that's enough there. So verse 23, next page. Oops, sorry. First, I don't know what I did. I just went to I, verse 21. Never mind, not next page. Sorry about that. To show partiality is not good, uh, because for a piece of bread a man will transgress. 
So we look at this whole place, and, and again, it's kind of looking into the things that there. It says, if you're going to be partial, if you're going to, you know, give people, uh, treat people unfairly, it says it's just, it's wrong. I mean, it's held that way all the way through the scriptures. Even James in the book of James would talk about it by saying, hey, that goes against the very nature of who we are. But one of the interesting things it does in Proverbs, it says, for a piece of bread, a man will transgress. And so it's kind of, you know, in the proverb right before the saying, if you hasten to be rich, it's going to go badly for you. Here, the kind of idea is if you're going to be somebody who can be bought, it's not a question uh, of how much or, or if, it's more of a question of how much. And the sad thing is for some people, it's a piece of bread. It's the smallest of things. You know, if you're someone who can be moved to be unfaithful, if you can be moved to, to, to not do what's right, it's not a question of right or wrong. It's a question of how much is it going to cost us to make you be unfaithful. And he says, this is a bad space. It's a bad space that you would, you know, move away from saying, hey, it doesn't really matter. I want, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to treat people rightly. I'm going to treat people faithfully. So much what God longs for us. In that, he says it in verse 22, a man with an evil eye hastens us to riches and does not consider that poverty will come upon him. So if you have this idea that you're driven by money and you're driven by all of those things, he says, if you do that, that's, that's as if you have an eye that's evil. It's as if you're gazing at things and looking at life that way. And he says, if that's you, you don't understand. You're not considering that's going to go badly. To, to have a life that's driven by that, it's going to bring poverty. It's going to bring emptiness in that. It's not meant to be the thing that drives us. So much we could say, but I'll say it just quickly. We live in a world that disagrees with us. Uh, we live in a world that tells us, you know, money makes the world go round. You know, whatever, whatever, is, whatever you can get for it, it's, it's always about that. That should always be the consideration. And for many in our world, they are driven. They are driven today, not by, hey, it's right. It's, it, this is the right thing to do. It's, no how much? <laughs> you know, how much will you pay? How much will you do? And, and that becomes the sole motivating factor and, and, and calling us away from that because it, it goes badly in our world. It goes badly for people. And God so clearly wants us to remove away from that. All right. Well, now you can go to verse 23 on the next page. He rebukes a man will find more favor afterward than he who flatters with a tongue. So someone who corrects, someone who con confronts and, and, and just says, hey, you're doing the right, wrong thing. He says, you're going to find more favor afterwards. And in some ways, that's the key little nugget in this. You're going to find favor more afterwards than he who flatters with a tongue. Simply put, it's not that way always in the moment. Uh, confronting it doesn't always bring about the, the greatest moment of joy. Being the kind of person they can come and say, hey, I just need to talk to you about something and, and confronting sin, confronting wrong things. It is rarely, uh, you know, just something that goes really well. But in the long term, if that's been happening in your life, that kind of person will sometimes hopefully come back and say, thank you. Thank you. You know, I, you know, I didn't enjoy it, but thank you. Thank you for, for caring. Thank you for investing. Flattery is the opposite. Flattery often is enjoyed in the moment, but it doesn't go well in the end. And he calls us away from that calls us away from, from being that person that isn't living just for that momentary thing, but it's like, I, I, I want to be someone who, well, in the again, context is faithful. All right. 
Well, keep going. Verse 24. Whoever robs his father or his mother and says it is no transgression, the same as a companion to a destroyer. So you have here one that's taking advantage of their parents, even robbing them, you know, uh, taking uh, away what's theirs, taking parts of their inheritance, however that works, but then says, hey, it's, it's, I didn't do anything wrong. It's like, I'm just getting my just, you know, st- you know, I deserve, you know, this, however, you know, the excuse is in the midst of that. He says, if that's what you're doing, he says, the same as a companion to a, to a destroyer. And this is really meant to be kind of harsh wording here. It's almost meant to wake up because, again, we live in a world that's so often, you know, driven by what I deserve or, you know, being covetous out of that. And sometimes it can be even in that space of, you know, taking from parents, being involved in those things. He says, if that's what you're doing, it's as if you're a destroyer. Uh, One of the uh, translators that was working on translating this into another language, I like the way they were kind of wording it. They said it this way. They said, whoever thinks that there is no wrong in robbing his father or mother is no better than a highway robber. And it's kind of the idea. It says, if you think, hey, you're not doing it, to, to be that kind of person, you might as well be a highway robber. And that's not even strong enough because the, the idea of a destroyer is like the most vicious, cruel, um, criminal that, you know, you know, again, it's, you're, you're, you're a destroyer. You're one who is, you know, bringing in destruction. He says, if, if that's what you're doing, if you're, if, you're, if you're stealing from your own family, it's not a, a little thing. Uh, it's not meant to be, well, you know, I kind of deserve it. You know, they didn't treat me well, and I should just be able to do this anyway. He says, that's destruction. And that you might as well be, you know, holding somebody up at gunpoint in the most vicious way because it's, it's altogether wrong. And so, again, those who kind of just, who study this out tell us that in one sense, this proverb is just meant to be a wake-up call and say, hey, don't fall into that mindset. Don't be into that one that, uh, you know, would, you know, go against, you know, God calls us, which is honoring our father and mother and caring and, and, and taking that. Don't fall into the world that's going to take us into a different direction because it would it'd be an altogether horrendous space to live. All right. Well, let's keep going. Verse 25. He who is of a proud heart stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will be prospered. So if we're going to be prideful, be arrogant, we're going to, you know, walk in a way that uh, is, 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 is in a place where pride and arrogance move in the midst of that and, and, and all that's there. Sorry about that. They're going to work it and get it back. We've got to figure out technology why this is doing this. But so in the midst of, but if you have this place of, of having a pride, prideful heart, being one that's just looking at your own place, he says that's as if it stirs up strife. That causes problems in every place that you go. It causes in the midst of that. But he says, he who trusts in the Lord will be prospered. So in the midst of this, again, there's one of these interesting places that if you can just take moments to think it through, this is a proverb that are two things being contrasted, and immediately they didn't seem like they were necessarily opposites, that you were to look at one uh, in comparison to the other, they, they move differently. They have a, a, one who's of a proud heart contrasted with one who trusts in the Lord, one who is, you know, self-absorbed, thinking much of themselves, and one who trusts in God. That works pretty well for me. I can see, you know, pretty much a, a clear, like, okay, that's, that's two different lifestyles, one who is prideful, one who's trusting in God. But then the contrast is this. If you're prideful, it's as if you cause problems everywhere you go. You cause strife everywhere you go. 
that walking in the midst of that brings in the, just, just problems and, and conflicts and everything that's there. But on contrast, if you're trusting in God, it brings prosperity. It brings blessing. So again, it's a different, that this thing seems not necessarily the opposite, but they flow together. There's a space here that if you're, if you're trusting in God, it, it brings in blessing in your life. It brings in favor and it brings in strength and it brings in the things that God has in the midst of that. But if you're stirring, a, you know, and in that sense, it would bring favor to everybody else around you. But if in that sense, sorry, I don't know why I'm pointing at the screen, it's just a blue screen. Uh, but if you're pride, it just stirs up strife. It, it causes such pain and sorrow and, and just turmoil in the midst of all of that. He invites us to be one who, who trusts God, who makes God our strength and, and becomes not only a blessing to us, but a blessing to all those who are around us. And, and lives that would be there would be a glorious and a good thing. All right, well, you can flip your booklet over. We get it there in verse 26. It says, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. Again, we, just, we, we look at this. Let's see, let me kind of catch it up there. There we go. All right. Um, so he who trusts in his own heart, you know, he lays this out here. He just simply says he's a fool. Now, I got to just pause and say this is just one of my favorite Proverbs. I mean, maybe it just feels so culturally right and, and, and a place of just saying this here because he just invites us away from this. He says, if you're going to be that person who trusts in your own heart, that's as if you're, that's being foolish. Can we say it in a way that would hopefully just counter the lie of the culture? Do not be one who follows your heart. Do not be one that just says, hey, you know, I just, I just, it just feels. If it feels good, do it. it don't, don't trust, you know, you as the instrument of, uh, of right and wrong. But that is what our world is telling us. That is what our world is telling you. It is, 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 is speaking to you all the time, saying, you know, don't let anything else control you. You, you know, you will be the one that determines that. And yet what folly there is. I think about Jerry Bridges and his commentary again. I said it this way. He says, to trust an imposter who has deceived us a hundred times or a traitor who's proved himself false to our most important interest is surely to deserve the name of a fool. And if you can catch it, I just want to tell you, you have been an unfaithful person. You have lied to yourself. You have, I mean, if you could just look at how you have treated yourself, how often you have been, you know, that your own kind of counsel to yourself has gone badly, you would be like, oh, I don't trust me. <laughs> I do not trust. I mean, trusting me gets me into problems. Like going with what just, go, going with my gut, will, that will, I, will, I will surely go the wrong way. And if only you had your own experience to tell you that, it would be enough. It would be enough. How foolish it is then to, to believe that you could be that one that could be trustworthy. He says instead, he says if you, instead of trusting your heart, you would walk wisely. Wisdom is that which the entire book of Proverbs is holding out to us, a wisdom that fears God, that acknowledges God, that uh, lives life in, in light of him. He says that's going to bring rescue. That's going to bring deliverance. I mean, if you would go this direction, that's a course that is going to be that which rescues you from, from problems, rescues you from destruction, rescues you from those wrong spaces. You know, I, I'm hoping that just your presence here this evening is, is speaking which side of the equation you're wanting to be on, but I, I need to again just press it for a moment. 
Because to do this well, you're going to have to go against everything the culture is saying. You cannot be trusted. Your feelings will lead you astray. If you're going to, you know, be that person that says, hey, you know, I just, you know, I felt like it. It felt like the right thing to do. It just, you know, I just want, it, 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 that will go badly for you. If instead you'll come to the person and say, so what does God want me to do? I mean, what is his, does, his, does his word speak to this? You know, what, is his, what does his word say? And if it comes down to a place where, you know, his word says this and my feelings say this, I want to walk wisely. I want to choose his word over, over my gut, his word over my own feelings, my own heart, just to believe him. He says that's how we're needing to live because in, if, we, if we allow our own hearts to lead us, it will go into what even several of the Proverbs before this have talked about. Covetousness, selfishness, is what's in it for me. Uh, it will go badly for you. Oh, may God rescue us from such folly. May God cause us uh, to be a people that even as we gaze into this this evening, find ourselves looking at it and saying, okay, yeah, that's, that's, that's not a good space to go that to be this person who would say, okay, this is where God would draw. This is the kind of person he would make me to be. That would be glorious. May you be such a person uh, that you would seek to walk wisely. Okay. Verse 27. He who gives to the poor will not lack, but he who hides his highs will have many curses. So he holds out this idea of caring for the poor and, 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 and being those who do that. He says, if you'll do that, we, you won't lack. This is one of those realities that God has held out through his word the whole space, inviting us to say, hey, that's who we are. I mean, I think about even Jesus who told us, hey, the poor, you're going to have with you always. And this is never going to be something on this side of eternity that we fix. Uh, poverty, its destruction is constantly a space in there, and he invites us. He says, I want you to be one who blesses those. I want you to be those who give those. And, and then the other side of that is being that person, he says, who hides his eyes will have many curses. That, that if you're just going to be a person who pretends it doesn't exist, who, who pretends that it isn't there, that will go badly. And yet how needed this is. I mean, I don't know about anybody else, but this is a struggle. I mean, I can look at this proverb for me and say, I could use some help, Lord, because, I, I mean, we live in a world that has so reverse values and, and, and so many struggling in, in poverty that I'm not even sure how they got there, and, and, and yet to be that person that says, God, I want to see that. I don't want to encourage it. I don't want to handle it poorly. That would go wrongly, but there is certainly a place of saying, hey, we look at this and say, God's word's clear. You know, we are to be those who see it. We are to be those who see it and, 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 and are a blessing in the midst of that, that we are to be those who care for just those in our, in our world that are in that space. And so certainly God is calling us uh, to walk in the midst of that. Right. Verse 28. When the wicked arise, men hide themselves. But when they perish, the righteous increase. So when the wicked arise, when... People doing badly are promoted uh, when they move into successful positions, whether, again, it is in business or uh, whether it's in our world. He says, when you do that, it just causes people to hide. I mean, you just know. He's like, this, this is, it's, it's a dangerous, precarious place. Uh, when, when wickedness is ruling, when wickedness is in the midst of that, it promotes both fear and a, a place that makes us feel unsafe. 
Some of you understand that well. Again, maybe something happening in your world right now. Maybe it's in business. Some of you just feel that in our world. It's like wickedness is prospering, and it makes you, sometimes you just feel like, okay, I'm just going to go hide somewhere. I mean, this doesn't feel safe. It doesn't feel like you can trust it. You don't try to feel in the midst of it. It creates great problems in the midst of everything that's there. But when they perish, he says, then righteousness, is in, righteousness increases. It's a sad picture, but it's one that's worth thinking about for a moment. So we're looking at a wicked, uh, just this person who's living badly, doing the opposite of what God says. When they are exalted, it creates problems. When, when things go up, it just creates problems where everybody holds. But when their life ends, it's as if the world just got better. Uh, it's as if, you know, righteousness increases just because they're no longer a part of that. And, and the sad reality is that's true. Uh, that's true. There, there's a horrendous space that to live poorly that for some people, uh, if we can kind of put it in an eternal value, the best thing they ever did for eternity was, was to, to, to leave this world, you know, because they, their, their lives were of no value. That they only brought about pain. They only brought about sorrow. They only brought about destruction. It's kind of in this, I found myself just thinking through, you know, there's almost a way of just looking at our lives and just saying, so which one are you? I mean, even if it's not talking in, in, in fullest measure, which one are you? Are you the one that, as, as, as things happen in your life, people, you know, hide from you? I mean, your life is of no blessing and no hurt, or are you one that is a blessing uh, to those around you? Or to say it again in this way, when you, when you reach the end of your story, when your life is over, will, will you leave a hole that, that says, okay, you know, uh, you know, that leaves things un- like, oh man, yeah, they were a blessing. I think about some of the accounts in the book of Acts when, uh, like Dorcas, some of you know the story that, you know, when they come and present Peter, they're like, look at all that she is. Look at all that she was. Look at what her life did for us. Uh, I think about even Stephen, uh, that after him, he's the, you know, kind of the, the first martyr in the midst of it, it says, that, you know, at his death, great godly men great, made great lamentation over him. And, I, and I've often thought that through and found myself thinking it through it in this proverb. It's like, so when my life is over, I wonder what it will, I, I'm hoping it won't be like, ooh, he's gone. Like, is now, the, life just got better, you know, life just got better without, without him. I mean, what a horrendous story that would be to live a different life, to say, I want to be a faithful one. I want to be a blessing. I want to be one that, you know, that my life, when, it, when it's marked and when it's given value, uh, would, would, would be that. And it's worthy of considering. It's worthy of just thinking, okay, I, I want to be, you know, just in, in the space that, you know, my life isn't that that, 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 that righteousness is happening because of my life, that I'm seeking to invest in that which is good and godly and blessing, and so much God is drawing us there. Well, that's where we're going to stop this evening. That gets us to the end of the chapter, and yet it certainly invites us into this. And so I think about all that's been held out to us tonight. I think about the, the, the place in, in his word where he's spoken to us, and again, I just want to pause and say I wonder where it's found you this evening. I know this. I know I'm inviting you into a life that would be a blessing. I know I'm inviting you into a space that your life would be measured at the end of, the, of your life with value, that, that through your life it would find value, that it would be said of you that you're a faithful person. I know I'm inviting you to that, and I'm telling you one more time that to get there, uh, you're going to have to say yes to God. You're going to have to not trust your heart. You're going to have to walk wisely. But if you're going to get there, then the thing that you're going to have to deal with is you. And I think about where we began. You know, the one who 
covers his, his sin, who pretends, hey, I'm fine, I'm good, like doesn't deal with your own space. He says, that's going to go badly. But the one who comes and confesses it, the one who comes and says, God, you're right. God, I, I'm sorry. God, cleanse me and wash me. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you. And what's possible tonight is that can happen. Like we could leave here this evening and you could leave blameless. You could leave not being a perfect person, but you could leave being the person that says, God, I, I, want, to pres- I want to surrender my whole life to you. I want to come and say, you're right in all of your ways. And I have sinned and I've fallen short. And, and, and there he says, we get mercy. He says, if you'll do that, if you will confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you. And I just want to tell you, he is. God is promising us. He says, that's exactly what I do. That's exactly into the space that you can find that. And then from that to step forward into a life that would say, I want to live this life that's heading in a different direction. I want to live that life that is a blessing. So let's do that. I'm going to lead you in prayer, and then we're going to worship uh, and a couple of songs. And so hopefully here in this place of prayer, and even as we sing worship, which again, kind of the interesting thing of confession, is a place of coming and saying, God, you're right. You're good. You're glorious. Your ways are right, and I need this. In the midst of that, long that it would be a space of washing, a place of just God just drawing us into his greatness and, and his mercy that would leave us into a space that we walk out of here, being those who are a blessing. Uh, that we aren't creating strife everywhere we go, that, that our lives are both finding favor and blessing among God and among people, that it would be that because we're seeking to walk in His ways. So let me lead us in prayer, and then we're going to worship. Father, we come, and I know we come as sinners. God, I thank you for many this evening. We are those who have, have found hope in Christ that we've been made new in you and, I, and, I, and found that place of forgiveness. God, I thank you that that's so for so many. If there's anyone here right now outside of that, I, I pray that they would come to you, recognizing their sin, their need of a Savior, Lord, and that they would find hope for their soul. That said, Lord, we still live in a fallen world. We still have a flesh that we struggle with every day. And so for everyone here, every Christian here, it's a question of how we're dealing uh, with that brokenness. God, for the one who's covering it, the one who's not dealing with it, who's letting it last and stay for a long time, would you just highlight how foolish that is? Would you bring us into a place that we are quick to deal with our sin, that we would always be reverent, that we come into a place of acknowledging you're God and you're right. You're right about everything. You're designed for life, you're designed for us and every space that we're outside of that we're wrong. God, you're good and your ways are good and you're holy and you're just. Would you forgive us our sins? Would you forgive us our sins? Would you meet us in mercy even this evening? I hold before you your faithfulness. You said if we would do that, if we would confess our sins, that you would be faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That, tonight, please. Would you forgive us? Would you cleanse us? Would you cause us to be blameless right now? Would you cause us to enter into the great joy of of people who recognize the greatness of our God and the need of your mercy? Would you meet us this evening and then cause us to forsake those sins and seek to go out of here being a blessing 
being those who do the right thing, who aren't driven by selfishness or governed by our own silly hearts, but by you and your ways. God, would you help us to be those who fall in that, walk in that. We ask for help, blessing, and your touch as we just surrender uh, to you and your ways tonight. Thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.